Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Psalms. And for any of you children that are out there, a great way to um, remember where the book of Psalms is, if you stick your thumbs in the middle of your Bible and you open to the left, you usually fall into the book of Psalms, which is in the middle of the Bible. And that separates your Bible into two parts. So if you memorize Psalm 23, which is what we would love for you to do this summer, each time you go to do that, you can stick your thumbs in there and you'll open up to the book of Psalms and that'll reinforce the Bible for you. And it'll make the Bible a little less intimidating. And for any of you who are adults and you're just coming to the faith, good way to remember the Bible, you open it up in the center. The law is to the left, Moses and the law are to the left. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, so he's to the right. This morning I'm going to read from chapter 33. And I will begin in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our hearts is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, because we, we live in pretty close proximity to Washington, D.C., I think most of us are, are pretty well acquainted with the idea of power. Some people would, would say that, that our country is the most powerful nation in the world. And so if that's, if that's true, if you believe that's true, well, then, then many people would say then that the capital of our nation is the most powerful city in the world. So many, many people uh, that we know may not live in Washington, D.C., although many of the people that we do know have lived in Washington, D.C. at one time or or, or closer to it than we do. But we, almost all of us, know someone who works in D.C. We may even know people who have some semblance of power that we would we would look at their role in our government and or our connection their connection to our government and and say that they have power. 
Our message this morning talks about and describes a power that makes Washington, D.C.'s power look like a double-A battery. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. The stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water into the, of the sea into jars and places them in his refrigerator. I took a little liberty there. <clears throat> he puts the deep into storehouses like his garden shed. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. This passage, I think, starts to put power in perspective. It puts it in the perspective in the sense of helping us to understand that, that we are inclined to put, put trust in our own resources, in the power that's associated with the things of this world. And I think if we understand this passage properly, it will help us to not trust too much in the powers of this world. It tells us that true power belongs to God. I'm going to argue that all power belongs to God. That essentially any and all power that we have is either given to us or it is taken by us from God. It's either given to us by God or it is grabbed from God by us. One dictionary defines power as the ability to act one's intentions into being. The ability to act what we desire into being, into happening. What this means is, and I'm sure some of you can, can relate to this, and some of you will understand what I'm saying because you can't relate to this. The person who desires to run a marathon and can is more powerful than the person who desires to run a marathon and can't. Does that make sense? Because, because power is our ability to do what we will, to do what we intend, to do what we desire. And so the person who can say, I desire to do something, and then they actually can do it, is more powerful than the person who says, my desire is to do this, but I can't. Sometimes our power is limited by our knowledge. By the way, I'm, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying here, what I'm saying next, really goes in the face of what many of us hear and have, have learned growing up as Americans. We've heard, by and large, that anything you set your mind to, you can do. And I'm suggesting this morning that that is just, just not true. There are many things that we might desire to do that we cannot do. Our power may be limited by our knowledge. We just don't know what we need to know in order to do something. Sometimes our power is limited by our lack of money. We desire to do something. We desire to have something, but we just can't afford it. Sometimes our power is limited by our opportunity. It's just not the case that we have the opportunity, that everybody has the same opportunities. Some of you have had opportunities that no one else in the room has had. And so you've accomplished something. And, and so if you're inclined to say, well, I've accomplished this because I'm so smart or I'm so powerful, or I'm so whatever. Well, you may have some of those qualities. That may be true. But if you have had an opportunity that someone else has not had, well, that has helped you. 
That's power given by God. Some of us are, are limited our power, in our power by, by just a lack of pure strength or ability. We just don't have the ability to do something. You see, you see how, how power works. For every single one of us here in this room, there is a gap between what we desire and what we can actually affect. There's a gap. I'm not saying that all of our gaps are the same size, but we all have a gap between what we would love to happen, we would love to accomplish, and what we actually can bring to pass. And the smaller that gap is, the more powerful you are, right? God has no gap. There's no gap between what he desires and what he actually does. His power is absolute. That's what that means. That anything he desires, he can do. His power is absolute. His power is also comprehensive. And and when I say comprehensive, I'm, I'm talking about the scope of his power. His power knows no bounds. There's no limits as to where or when his power can be brought to bear. Verses 13 through 15 say, from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the heart of all who considers everything they do. This is saying that there is no limit to where God's power is operative. From God's vantage point, God sees or oversees all who live on the earth. And he doesn't, he doesn't just see what is visible. His oversight of all things extends to what is invisible. It extends to our hearts. It says that that, that, that the seat of our desires, the seat of all our decisions, our hearts, isn't, aren't just known by God. God has formed our hearts. And he understands everything that we desire and do. God's power extends to all of this. Everything that God looks out in terms of looking out over creation, everywhere his eye can see, his power is operative. His power is absolute and is comprehensive. Thirdly, his, his power is inescapable. It's unavoidable. Verses 10, 10 and 11 say, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm, the purposes of his heart through all generations. When we say that, that God's power is inescapable, what, what I think what we're really coming into contact with here is the fact that God's plans equal reality. There is no difference. There is no variation between God's will and reality because His power is absolute. His power is, is comprehensive in its scope and therefore Anything he intends, anything he desires, comes to pass. His will equals reality. And reality is inescapable. Have you noticed that? Have you tried to to break free of reality? It's inescapable. 
We may make plans and we may have ideas, but if our plans and our ideas are out of alignment with God's plans or God's ideas, then our plans are futile. They're just not going to come to pass. I think we, we see... We see some of this idea in a couple different ways in the world. We, uh, I'll give you a couple of, couple of thoughts. One is very theoretical and one of them is, is very, very pragmatic and, and tactile. The theoretical way we see this, I think, is it doesn't matter where, where people are in terms of their faith or their religion or what they believe. There are, I, I hear a lot of people today talking like this. If you want your life to go well, then you have to get your, you have to live somehow in line with nature. You know, you have to, you have to get yourself in sync with some power that's out there in the world, in the universe, because if you get yourself in line or in sync with that power, well, then your life will go well because you'll be, you'll kind of be in line with, with, with the force of nature, right? We, we talk about this in terms of biorhythms, or we talk about it just in terms of some some ambiguous power that's out there. Um, some of you, if you watch HGTV, then you're familiar with this thing called feng shui. You know, where you you have to you have to basically organize all the furniture in your home in such a way that it's in line with the the, the energy that's in the universe. I think that's our world trying to get our arms around and get in touch with the reality that, that Psalm 33 is describing, which is if you're not in line with God, then you're not in line with reality. God's power equals certain reality. And if we're out of it, then it's futile. Because there's no gap between what God wills and what God does. His will is reality and it's inescapable. A second way that, that we, we see the plans or, or the, the intentions of God being inescapable is, is in the area of our diet. Let me ask you this question. You don't have to answer this because the answer could, could embarrass you, frankly. Have you ever tried to eat dirt? Our bodies are made in such a way, we are designed to be fueled by certain things, right? We call those certain things food. If you put things that are not food into your stomach, generally speaking, it's not going to go well. I remember when our kids were younger, Sandy and I would would literally have, I know that we did this on, on a couple of different occasions with our kids. We would have a conversation went like this. If it's not food, don't eat it. Right? Don't put it in your mouth. If it's not air, don't breathe it. Because our bodies are made systemically to function with certain things to fuel us now. More and more, we are learning that many of the things that we actually call food are really not good for fueling our body. But that's a different, that, that's, that's a whole nother sidebar conversation. But, but the point is that, that just like our bodies are made by God to be fueled by food, I think we are, we are built to live according to certain 
realities, certain truths. Have you ever tried to live a lie? Again, you don't have to answer. My guess is if you're like me, you probably have. Where you've told a lie and then you've tried to figure out how do I get the rest of my life to line up with the lie that I just told. God has ordered life to be lived in truth. But just like things like Twinkies, lying can feel good for a little while, right? You can eat junk and feel okay for a while, feel even pretty good for a while. You can lie and feel good. Sometimes lying feels better than the truth. Sometimes the truth is painful. Sometimes trying to live in light of the truth is difficult. So living in according to a lie can be helpful for a while. But lying will eventually ruin you. It's inescapable. When we don't live in line with the will of God, and, and, and you can come up with all kinds of different examples. I've just given you food and living in truth. But there's all kinds of other areas where, where, where God says, I've made you for this. I've made you in such a way that you are intended to live this way. God has a will that is reality, and we're intended to live according to his reality. But when we don't live in line with the will of God, then we're on a collision course with reality because God's power is ultimate reality. He is the living God. He is the acting God. Unless you're living in line with his power, then, then your life is disconnected from reality at some level. And so the point of, of all this so far is simply to say this. My prayer is that we would be awakened to the power of God. It is absolute. It is comprehensive. And it is inescapable. Now, because we are made in the image of God, I think it is very natural, very normal, that that we would also aspire to have power. None of us don't want power. We want to be able to bring about what we intend. So how do we typically go about it? Well, I think verses 6 and 7 give or 16 and 17 give us a little hint. It says, "The king is not saved by his army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength." And a war horse is a false hope for salvation. So obviously the psalmist is trying to point out the fact that these things ultimately will not deliver what they promise. In other words, it's very natural for us to seek power. So where do we go to get it? Well, usually the first place we go to get power is we look at our resources. And we say, all right, I need strength. I need control. I need power. And so what we do is we, we try to gather and amass resources. So what do kings do? Well, they try to build a big army. And if they come up against another another king that has a big army, they try to build a bigger army with different weapons. And so they, they amass their resources and they put their trust in the power associated with their resources. Now, the psalmist is giving us a hint here that these things ultimately will not save you. The king who puts his trust in his army is only going to go so far. The king who is trying to, or the, the warrior who is trying to be delivered by his own strength is only going to go so far. 
our tendency is to seek power from our own resources. And I don't necessarily think that's wrong. God gives us resources. He calls us to to be stewards over resources. And so he, he gives these resources to us and he says, be good stewards of them. And so utilizing our resources to to try to accomplish what we desire is not wrong unless what we desire is wrong. If we're using our resources to accomplish something that is not good, that is not honoring to God, well then then that would be a wrong use of the resources. But generally speaking, much of what we desire to bring about is not bad. And using our resources to try to bring them about is not wrong. But here's where it gets harder. It gets harder because we've said that, that we all have a gap between what we intend and what we can actually do, right? Well, you know what the truth is? We despise our gap. We hate it. We, we hate the fact, we, we admit it, but we hate the fact that there is a gap between what we desire and what we can actually affect. And so what do we do in response to the gap? Well, what we need is more power, right? Or as Arnold would say, we need more power. We want power because that's the way we overcome the gap that we despise so much. According to the Bible, there's only two ways for us to get more power. We can receive it from God, or we can take it from God. We can receive it as gifted power, or we take it as grabbed power. It's either a power gift, or it's a power grab. Do you realize that this was ultimately what was going on in the very first sin in human history? In the Garden of Eden, God placed Adam and Eve there in paradise. And the only thing, the only, the only caveat, it was paradise minus one tree. Think about that. God placed Adam and Eve in paradise minus one tree. Have you ever found yourself in a forest and really had had much to think about one tree? Most of the time you get out in a forest and you say, there's so many trees here, I wouldn't even know if one of them disappeared. So they were there in paradise, minus one tree. But let me tell you this. The sin that Adam and Eve committed was not about the tree. It wasn't even about its fruit. Have you ever noticed how ambiguous the scriptures are about what kind of tree it was, what kind of fruit it was that they actually ate? I think that's intentional. If you you ever hear somebody say, I'm going to tell you what kind of tree it was, and, and so, you know, now you can know, don't believe them. The Bible does not tell us what kind of tree it was and what kind of fruit it was. And I think God did that on purpose because he knows us. And in our legalism, if we knew what kind of fruit it was, we would start making rules that you can't eat that kind of fruit, right? That's that's not about the fruit. It wasn't about the tree. The serpent said, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God. 
That's what I think the temptation was. If you eat of the tree, your gap will go away. The gap between what you desire and what you can actually accomplish. And so he says, if you eat this tree, you'll be like God. So take it. Grab it. Make it yours. It was a power grab. And frankly, it's what's behind virtually every sin and struggle that you and I have. It's what's behind virtually every counseling conversation that I have. Whether it's between parents and children, or between husbands and wives, whether it's between referees and and athletes, or dads on the sideline. It's all about power. It's all about control. It's what's behind the conflict between Republicans and Democrats. It's what's behind the conflict between America and Russia this week and every other national conflict that we can can think of. No power that is grabbed will prevail. No power that is grabbed can save us. All power grabs put us on a collision course with God himself. So there's only one other option. And that is to ascribe power to God. To acknowledge that God is the one with the power. To surrender to His power. To to recognize that what we need is only found in Him and by, by seeking to follow Him and to surrender to Him and to serve Him. Do you know what you get when you put your trust in the power that rightfully belongs to God? You get God as your help and your shield. That's what you get. Verses 18 through 20. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. When you think of someone who needs a shield, what kind of person do you think of? Don't you naturally tend to think of someone who's weak? Someone who's vulnerable? But think about this. How about, how about someone who's going into battle? Don't they need a shield? Think of the person who's out in front, on the leading edge, Who's, who's pressing forward into the conflict. It's not just those who are afraid who need a shield. It's people who are courageous, who are willing to act. Do you know what the opposite of power is? It's not weakness. The opposite of power is fear. Now, why do I say that? Well, let me quote you 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. You see, the true antidote to fear is power. It's the power of God. 
brought to bear in our lives because we trust in Him and He becomes our shield. The temptation to grab power, particularly from God, is as old as the human race. It's what was central to Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. It's one that's central to virtually every struggle that you and I face in this life. It was also central to the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness following his baptism. Maybe, you, maybe you've read that and, and can recall this. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He and all around hear the voice of the Father saying, Behold, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then we're told that the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness where he for 40 days was tempted by the evil one. And so Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness, much the same way that Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, Jesus knew that all authority in heaven and on earth belonged to him. It was waiting for him on the other side of the cross. And Satan said, I can get you that power. I can get you that control. I can get you that authority faster, easier less painful. You can have it. You can have it like this. All you have to do is worship me. In other words, all you have to do is grab the power. Don't trust him to give it to you. Don't surrender to Him. Don't submit to Him and wait for Him to give it to you in His timing. Grab it. Take hold of it. But for the joy set before Him, not grabbed power, but given power, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, where all authority, all power, all control in heaven and on earth belongs to him. Not because he took it, not because he grabbed it, but because he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Your will is reality, and I embrace it. I surrender to it. And he purchased our salvation so that we who, who have, have turned away, who are outside in our natural condition, human beings are outside of the ordered reality of God. But Jesus went to the cross so that we might be brought back in line with the reality of God, that our sins might be atoned for, that we would be restored in our relationship to Him, and that we would have the hope of abundant and eternal life, that we would relate to Him. And so now what? Now He says, follow me. Trust me. Walk with me. I'll provide for you. I will care for you. You see the birds? They don't work real hard. I feed them. You see the flowers? They don't spin or toil. I clothe them. 
I provide. I will strengthen you. I will sustain you with my power that is absolute, that is comprehensive and inescapable. Let our hearts be glad in Him. Let us trust in His holy name. And let His steadfast love be upon us, even as we hope in Him. Let us pray. Father, You are the God of power. Your power is is absolute. It is without bounds. And it's inescapable. But Lord, we confess that we see the gap between what we desire and what we can actually affect, and we hate the gap. And we are so tempted to try to grab power wherever we can. And in doing so, we are grabbing it from you. We are, in effect, saying, I don't trust you, and so I want the power myself. Lord, I pray that you would help us to surrender to you to put our trust in your power. Your power is is the ultimate reality. And so help us to bring our lives in line with you. Work in us by the power of your Spirit. Make us more and more like Jesus. Fill us. Strengthen us. But ultimately, help us to find our hope in you, And we pray that you would be our help and our shield. In Jesus' name, amen.